0: Hi everybody, this is Moshe Fried and welcome to the very 64th episode of the Class Stars podcast. Today we sit down with Kevin Stoller, the co-founder and CEO of K12, a furniture company whose mission is to create better learning environments in classrooms across the country.
1: The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, How do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question, and the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed.
0: We're thrilled to be joined today on the Class Stars podcast with uh, Kevin Stoller. Of K-12. Is it K through 12? K-12? through K-12? How do I pronounce your company?
1: You know, we spell it weird. So however you pronounce it, it's spelled K-A-Y-dash and 12 spelled out. Right. Right.
0: So it's <laughs> K-12.com. And Kevin, tell us about K-12.com, your company, what you're doing, and how you got into it.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for having me on here. I've been watching, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and, and seeing what you're doing with Classstar is really cool. And I mean, it's all about engagement. I mean, that's kind of what, what we're always talking about yes. too. So, yes. Yes. Yeah, so the, our company K-12 um, was really uh, formed a little over 10 years ago and we were working within schools and, you know, and I used to say when we started, we were just selling stuff. Like it was a chair and we would be, you know, like we would be having conversations about like the gauge of steel of the chair and what glide was on the bottom of it that was affecting the floors. And then there was this new wave of furniture that was starting to come out and it immediately changed the classroom. And the second we saw that you just knew, like if you walked down the hallway of a school and you had a more of a traditional classroom and then you had something that had more, um, collaborative, engaging type of furniture, it, the buzz that would come from that classroom, it, it, was, it, it was amazing. And so we shifted the entire company and just really focused on how do we create better learning environments? So it's, uh, it's mostly furniture um, that, that changes it, but we're really looking at it holistically of how do we change that environment to get it more engaging, to get the students engaged and how to really maximize the teacher skills.
0: It's amazing, you know, one of the big influences for me as a software developer, not that I'm actually coding, but I work with my partner who's a, an actual developer. I just give him ideas. I tell him what I want, then it's his job to make it happen.
1: That's a good so, way to have it yeah, set up. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a nice setup. thank God. Yeah, he's, he's really great. So, you know, Steve Jobs obviously influenced the way I look at technology. And one of the things that come to mind was he was such a stickler for the furniture, for the design, for you know, the environment, creating an environment that is conducive to collaboration, to a warm environment. You know, I remember reading in his biography by Walter Isaacson that when he was developing that Apple headquarters that they have now, that circular you know campus, I think he, I don't know if they actually did this or this was just an idea that he had, to have only two bathrooms in the center of the building. So this way, everyone was forced to come to the center to meet and to mingle and to collaborate and to share that, that energy. And, you know, obviously he did it at an extreme. I'm not recommending that schools have only two bathrooms in the center of the building. But, but the idea to, to look at the furniture as support of that kind of attention to detail, you know, it, you don't hear people talking about that too often you know, it's not something that's commonly spoken about.
1: Well, and kind of the, your same point here of of your physical surroundings. Um, we, we typically are working with, we call them the change makers in education. Sometimes we'll refer to them as the champions. And they're the ones that really are at the forefront of education. And it can really be anyone the higher up in, in you know, the organization, the more impact they, they typically have. But It could be, you know, the superintendent, to the principal, to a teacher, to a student, to a parent or community member, but whoever is that change maker, um, we have those conversations of like, it is very difficult to change a culture without changing the physical environment.
0: Right, right. And I think that one of the things that really stood out from this whole pandemic that we've been dealing with is exactly to this point, because it doesn't matter You know, and there are a lot of people that struggled with the technology and interconnectivity. And, you know, there were a lot of issues that we suddenly realized, you know, we needed to deal with. But the actual environment, and I heard on one of your podcast episodes, um, and I had this personally also, where you're trying to work, you're trying to teach, you're trying to help your kids with school, and there's just so much going on. You know, the environment is such an influence to, you know, just a person's, you know, Ability to concentrate and to get into the zone and the kind of learning that you really want to foster in a classroom. You know, I was I was listening to a recent podcast of yours. Uh, you know, I guess one, one of the most latest one of the latest ones. I forgot the guy's name. He's a futurist. Whenever I
1: oh yeah Pascal that he's a, yeah. He's whenever a, I whenever really I see cool that guy.
0: word futurist, it it, <laughs> it 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 makes the hair on my arm stand up because. I don't know. I don't know. They don't always work out the way they think. And, you know, you're labeling yourself a futurist, but, but I understand what they're doing. You know, what I get, I get where they're coming from. I get, I get what they're trying to do. You know, they're definitely very creative people and whether the future turns out the way they anticipate or not, they're definitely influencing, you know, the, the direction of, of where things are going. And, you know, you know, he was just talking about, you know, he was talking about how you know, the energy, you know, the different things that you get out of college, you know, he was talking about it on the college level, you know, is it the actual education? You can get that on your own. You can get that on YouTube. Is it the degree? Obviously, you'll still have to go to the college to get the degree. Is it the other experience of just being with your friends? Maybe there's some other way that we can foster that, you know, all of these things that we've really taken for granted for a long time, you know, and, and where I differ with him, I guess I would say, you know, he thinks, you know, he looks at how technology is going to take over. You know, we're noticing now things that we took for granted a decade ago, how much attention we need to pay to those things, you know, to those details, to the environment, to the emotional support, to the social component, all of these different things. We're, we're putting a premium on that stuff. 20 years ago, no one spoke about this. And it wasn't because people were not capable of doing it. It kind of came on its own. I almost think about it as, as you know, the invention of, of the steermaster, right? There's a machine that simulates going upstairs. In the olden days, you would actually just go upstairs, right. you know. But we take the elevator and then get on the stairmaster. So so with the technology that makes our life easier in certain ways, we then need to compensate for these things. Hey, we didn't realize that we missed that. And I think that you know, paying attention to furniture in school the way you do, I think is tremendous. But let's take it a step back. How did you get into the furniture business?
1: Uh, It it was by accident. (laughs) So I'm pretty open about that. I come from a family of educators. Um, Yeah. um, And so I've always kind of been exposed to that, but really kind of... I, I really landed on it by accident. And I really did not like the industry when I got into it because of what I was talking about I, was, I would go to these conferences and I'd walk around. And I'm like, everything is exactly the same and it looks so similar to the way it's been for the last 30, 50, 125 years. So I was really encouraged to, to find out, um, you know, like when these new products and there was a lot more research and focus on this coming out that, that's, that, that was really the game changer for me. But my background's really kind of always just been like business entrepreneurship. Um, I, I, uh, I'm I, a big believer that entrepreneurship can really have a positive impact on it. So um, my two worlds that I live in are schools and kind of this entrepreneurship world. And my, I, I'm always just looking at this and trying to connect the dots. Like how can we all learn from each other?
0: That's great. That's great. So, so let's take each of those worlds and kind of walk through the journey a little bit. Um, let's start with the, well, obviously you we have education in your blood because you come from a family of, of educators, but let's, let's start with the entrepreneurship side because I, I, think, I think it's, impo- you know, entrepreneurship is becoming more and more popular, obviously. It's becoming more and more the forefront and with the technology and the democratization of so many things, it's really becoming more and more, it's more accessible than ever before and it's not slowing down, you know, it's going to, it's, it's becoming even more accessible, you know, like just, just, you know, to give one example, you know, we needed to make an explainer video, you know, which we have on our website that kind of summarizes right. what we do. So I was working with this marketing, you know, local marketing firm and they put me in touch with a, with a video guy. And I met with him and I asked him, you know, before I do anything with anybody, I I want to get an idea of how much money we're looking to spend here, obviously. And and his response was, you know, I described him what we wanted to do. And he said, listen, for the kind of project that you need, you got to figure in the ballpark of 10 grand for a two minute video. And and I told him that, that that's out of my league. I, I'm not doing that. And the reason why is really simple. When I'm doing something for the first time, it's going to fail. It's, it's I'm bad. not I'm not hitting a home run on my first pitch. It's just not happening. So that means I got to do this two or three times. So this is realistically going to cost me you know between thirty and forty thousand dollars and that's just insane considering you know my circumstance so so the next guy that I called I told him right off the bat it's not gonna you know if, if you if you're gonna tell me ten thousand dollars it's not happening well, let's not waste our time and this guy was able to you know said I, I I can do it animated save a lot of money you don't have to pay actors he was able to get it to about six grand which was not bad you know cutting it almost in half pretty substantial and then you know, I stumbled upon Fiverr and got it done for like three hundred bucks, yeah. which was great. And now I'm seeing ads for these apps that will actually anybody can do it for like fifty bucks. So you right. took the price of 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 something from ten thousand dollars down to fifty fifty dollars, not fifty. You know, right? You know, so 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 entrepreneurship is obviously a fascinating industry as well, and it's important for educators to understand this. Two, like, you know, these, these worlds are colliding. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. How did you get involved in entrepreneurship? How did you get started? What were the challenges? How did you overcome them? Let's hear the
1: story. Well, you, you hit exactly what I'm talking about. It's you're going to fail. <laughs> and uh, and it, it is all about failure and doing that. And kind of my favorite quote, which kind of relates back to like my first entrepreneurial experiences. I did a documentary in college called The Commercialization of Michael Jordan. And we looked at the basically the evolution of his career in commercials and how like his first ones that he would do locally in the Chicago area, they wouldn't even let him talk. It would just be like, just stand here with a basketball. So Nike would have their first ones and they would just record him jumping. And then by the end of, the, of his career, he was, he was, they were deeming him as CEO Jordan you know, for this whole new brand. So we looked at that and that was really my first experience in entrepreneurship of just really creating something from nothing. Wow. But also from that, it's one of my favorite quotes. There's a commercial in there where he talks about all the shots he's missed and how many times he's, he's failed and he's been trusted by his teammates to take the final shot and missed. And all of those he's failed over and over and over again. And that's why he succeeds. and and that's really kind of sticking with me and you know it's something that as we're looking kind of in the future of education here too it's like we need we need problem solvers I mean that we really need problem solvers and with solving problems means you got to be willing to fail you need to be willing to try and uh, and adapt and you know learn do trial and error and be able to figure things out so it's a that, that's kind of uh, how I've approached things and just know, you know, like even as COVID hit here, you know, our team I was just so proud of, of the way they responded, It'd be like, you know, we work with schools for a good month. Schools, we couldn't talk to them. Wow. <laughs> you know, like they had no interest in this and we came up with like eight different, different uh, ideas that we implemented uh, in a matter of 30 days and, and, you know, like as much as we can be helping, helping that because we we all know that it's going to more of like a freelance gig economy, and um, yeah, you obviously heard me talk about college and and some of the things in there, but but the bottom line is, I'm really optimistic about what's what happened here with COVID. We we took an educational system that was very difficult to implement change, and we all learned within 48 hours that we can do it maybe not to the level that we we expect or want
0: but we can do it we definitely broke the mold
1: for sure yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i see you wrote the book here creating better learning environments furniture concepts to enhance student outcomes how did you even like you know who even writes <laughs> books on furniture in <laughs> classrooms you know do you get your own section in the book it's it's or... a
1: it's a super popular topic you know <laughs>
0: So how did you, tell tell us a story about that.
1: Yeah, so the premise on that was that we, because we work around the country, we are getting exposure of all these different types of schools. And we work with public schools, charter schools, private schools, independent schools, um, you know, in colleges. And we even, you know, work into the corporate world a little bit too. And as we were going through this, we found that everyone had an interest in doing it, but they just didn't know how to do it um and and i don't blame them at all i mean it's you're a teacher you're a principal you got a lot of things on your plate um so we've as we were doing this for hundreds of schools around the country we're like well we're guiding them through the same process every time and we said why don't we just write this and share stories because you know like, i i really believe that anyone can make a difference in that you know it could it could be a parent it could be a student it could be a, teach, it can be anyone. And we want to just make this accessible and just say, this is, these are the steps that we take every single time to do this and how to overcome every, every obstacle that's out there. You know, it just literally is, it's just making progress and moving it forward. Um, I'm always telling people, I'm like, if you haven't, if, if you're willing to make a change, it will happen. It may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen at some point. And it doesn't take money. Uh, you can go to Costco and you can buy a lot of these things. They're probably not going to last you as long as some of the commercial things would, but it's not, it it just takes somebody to pick up the ball and run with it.
0: That's awesome. So what kind of like, what kind of obstacles did you run into in, in putting the book together? Did it take a lot of time? <laughs> did you have a team with you? Was there a yeah,
1: that you that, that's definitely, a, yeah, was a challenge. I'd never written a book before. I mean, I, I've written articles and things before, but I've never done anything to that level. So we, we did, we, we got a freelance kind of dear point of, uh, we found a freelance editor that was probably more of anything my coach. <laughs> nice. And I'm just like, tell me, like, make sure you keep me on, you know, like on task here. Um, you know, I I I thought like, oh, we can get this done in six months. It took a <laughs> it took a full year to do That's it. Uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad to do that. Um, but yeah, and I'm getting the itch right now too of saying like, we need to refresh it. That. that was about three and a half, four years well, ago that we did that.
0: When is volume two?
1: I, we I feel like we're going to have to do a post COVID volume here, um, because you know we in there we talk about learning environments aren't just in the classroom and. We're seeing that right now. I mean, these learning environments are going to happen everywhere. They're going to be, you know, in, in the kids' homes. They're going to be, you know, in hallways, outdoor. It, and, uh, and that's, you know, like really the, the first step of the book. We talk about how students learn and how there's different styles that students learn. And just because they're predominantly one style doesn't mean that they're that way all the time. And we really have to find ways to reach them. In, in different methods because one size definitely does not fit all.
0: That's definitely true. You know, I was, I was a, a couple of years ago, I was at a seminar from given you know, by Russell Barkley. He's one of the top ADHD uh, psychologists and all the pharmaceutical companies that develop medication for ADHD consult with him really high level worldwide recognized authority on this stuff. You know, when he was talking about how, you know, kids that struggle with ADHD, their environment needs to be tailored to them because they're so highly distractible. So you have a classroom, you know, you talk about differentiated learning, where you can teach, you know, to someone that maybe is a visual learner and someone else who, you know, who has their own, you know, everybody's got their own way of learning. So you can prepare a lesson that has differentiation, but it's very hard to prepare an environment that has differentiation when some kids need you know you look at a typical you know preschool elementary school classroom it's 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 busy you know it's decorated there are posters and and everything is highlighted in different colors and you know and all that kind of stuff and for a kid with ADHD to go into there that's like that's a, that's a disaster but you need to accommodate both kids as best as you can you know so so what would you say you know
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm thinking of kind of two different stories. Um, One one where, you know, early in this process where it was a challenge to get people to kind of think out of the box of doing, you know, straight rows and, you know, teacher up front. And remember talking about movement and being able to give students kind of that that freedom to kind of learn the way that, that they learn at the time that they need it. And we were in a conference room and there was a school administrator just swiveling back and forth in this chair. And he's telling me, he's like, yeah, I understand for these ADHD kids, you know, like they need some movement on there. He goes, but that's only, you know, like one in, in, you know, like maybe one in each class. And he's just like moving back and forth the whole time. And I had to like point it out to him, like, no, everyone wants to move. Maybe they don't want to move all the time. And definitely it's more prominent or, or it's easier to identify in an ADHD student. But everyone has to have movement. The fact that we think a student can just sit at a desk and absorb and learn everything, it, I mean, it's just proven wrong. I mean, the research is out there. It just shows that you need more engagement. So what we're seeing as more of being able to, to create and provide, you know, five to six different options within, within the environment to allow that student when they need to stand up, when they need to have a little bit of movement, when they need to swivel around or sit on the ground. Like, I mean, if you really look at it and they're gonna move five or six times throughout the day or throughout the class period, and that's what we really want to encourage. And obviously that opens much bigger questions and changes that we get involved in professional development because that obviously changes the teacher's role very significantly. Um, but but that's really what, what we talk about is being able to understand and recognize the way that students learn and allow them to really take ownership of their learning.
0: That's great. That's great. So you mentioned something that I was going to bring up, teaching in you know, a professional development, working with the teachers, because like I mentioned beforehand, teachers that are experienced are so used to doing it their way. And now you're introducing a way that really you know, you got to be really confident to be able to make that kind of a change. And not everybody is, and not everybody, even if they are confident, is confident in the support that they're going to have, because like you said, you're always going to miss at the beginning. So how did you get the teachers on board with this? I'm sure early on that was challenging. Let's hear a little bit about that. in In general, you know, just to talk to them and to get them to change their ways. How do you, how do you address that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, that's that's why kind of in our process, the first step is we wanna, we have we sit down and w- with the schools and the administration, and we ask a lot of questions. We we want to understand kind of what their mission is and the vision is and make sure because almost every classroom and school that we do, they're all different. There's it, it's it's never the same in each one because it's really supporting kind of what they want to be doing and and that's where we talk about kind of that culture change that if you tell me and you're sitting here and you're telling me that you really value kind of the 21st century skill set of collaboration creativity and being able to to have flexible spaces and then you go walk in and and your space doesn't represent that um that's why we want to make sure we do that and then look at this holistically of saying like well what does this impact do what are the teachers going to do so we do get involved in professional development we try to get teachers pulled into the process very early to get their input and we always kind of say like we can be the bad guys you know like we can kind of be the ones that explain um so it doesn't always turn into this like oh what is the administration doing to my classroom or what you know like oh they don't listen to what we're doing we want to engage them and get their feedback on there but we also want to explain why things are changing and why why we want to be making these changes um and so that so a lot of times we're getting committees involved or a group early in the process Um, they get some buy-in and help kind of get support but then once that space has changed it's really important that we get in there and we do some professional development where we share experiences of how other teachers have been utilizing it. But <laughs> it, it, it is, yeah, there's, there's definitely a change uh, and we're fully aware of that and we, we wanna make sure that these are successful instead of putting new spaces out there that the teachers are just immediately gonna go rearrange into the same way that they had it before.
0: What's the typical pushback that you get? When it comes
1: to the uh, there there's really two. There's one of like just change in general, um, and and that's a tough. That's a tougher one. But once they like that's literally it's a light switch moment. Like once they get past that and that mindset changes, it, and that's honestly the coolest part to yeah. see is like somebody who like fought it, fought it, fought it, and then like boom oh, I can do this now. And, and that's amazing. The other one, it, it's, uh, it, it's real, but it's, it's flat out, it's storage. It's what about all my stuff? Because wow. a lot of times if a teacher has been in there and they have, may have been in there for 10, 20, you know, some cases 30 years, and they have all this stuff that's accumulated in there and there's, you know, that fear of like, oh no, like what do I do with all this stuff? Um, which yeah so so that that's kind of the the hard one um we always say like it's kind of like the Marie Kondo of of schools like we really talk about is like like honestly if we can clear out this entire room and start from scratch um it it usually that's usually the first step that I usually tell people like I don't have any if they tell me I don't have any money but I know I want a better learning environment that's usually I'm like can you clear out everything that you can and then like literally if you can move everything out and then put the things in there that you know that your students right. need.
0: Right, it's so amazing because, you know, when I talk to teachers about Class Stars and our mission is to really help the teachers focus on the students, which sounds so obvious and simple, but there's really, it's, you know, it's almost a conflict of interest when a teacher walks into a classroom because they have their own agenda you know this is their job this is their livelihood this is what they take pride in and you know it's got you know when a kid comes and throws you a curveball either by acting out or you know in any other kind of way and you're talking about it in a different way but it kind of speaks to the same idea the teacher's always going to put their own interest first they're going to and the way you know I'm hearing it with you is that you know they're concerned with their stuff you know, this is not stuff that they're using. This is not stuff that they can't get rid of if they could only open their minds to it. But it's just the human reaction. And this is not to blame anybody. You know, the, the biggest right. problem that I have when I talk to teachers is, you know, I, I don't mean to criticize you. You know, I try to maintain a five to one ratio. That's of, uh, right. Compliment, me. compliment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got you to gotta be heavy on the compliments. That's what it's all about. But even you know when you're meeting somebody for the first or second time, they're very skeptical, and you're you know you come in and you're all excited, and they've seen this before. You know the smart ones know to be skeptical, you know, and it's just a matter of of, of explaining to them, you know, you're not noticing this, you're 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 getting too stuck up on, and you know I wouldn't use these words stuck up, that's so condescending, you know, but maybe you know maybe you need to look at it this way. May, what if we looked at it that way, and you try to open them up to seeing things you know differently. Another point that you mentioned here that I would like to, you know, get a little bit deeper into, um, you know, in my journey of entrepreneurship, I've talked with, you know, countless, you know, business advisors, consultants, you know, people with a lot more experience than I have. And one of the, one of the pieces of advice that I've gotten so many times, which is flat out wrong in my experience, you know, and, and you mentioned it is that, you know, if you can only convince the administrator to buy into it you'll have the whole district on board and 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 as recently as last week someone says it's like the guy who buys the disposable gloves in the restaurant if the boss says we're using these gloves everybody uses those gloves and and i told them i said look i said i've heard this before but in education it's just not that way in education every school you know there there is a federal education secretary a lot of people don't agree with her you know on the state level there was so much disagreement in education and you know because it's so old and because it's so critical everybody's got their own way of doing it and even for example in New York City you know I have a good friend who's a retired um, principal now he was a principal for 30 years and he never did what the city wanted He always did it his own way, and he was always at the top. He was always one of the top ten schools in the city on, in, on many measures. And he said, you know, we—they—they're not bigger experts than us just because they hold those offices. We're here. We know these kids. We know how to run our school. And he said, and if you could show that, they'll give you the leeway to do it. You obviously have to be respectful. You—you got to know how to work the political end of it too. This guy is a brilliant guy, but—but but the point is that every school is different, and every school has its own autonomy. So you can't just come in. It's not a one size fits all. You need to really come in and listen. And the challenge with that as an entrepreneur is you, you're you always thinking of scale. You're always trying to think of, you know, I want to write a book that every administrator is going to read and say, hey, this guy understands the way I need to decorate my, you know, and it's not even only about furniture. You know, you, you, can, you can even broaden this. You know, this—this, this, there's no end to what you could do with this. You know, you, you've you're onto something, you're definitely onto something here. You know, how did, how did that hit you? How did you react to that?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of it was, it's, it, it is, it's like you gotta create a framework for it because it, it's not, it, like you said, it can't all be the same. I mean, if we came in and said like, hey, every classroom's gonna be the same, honestly, we're, we're just like perpetuating the problem <laughs> that's in there because, you know, like we always say, whatever you put in there is most likely gonna stay there for at least 20 or 30 years. Wow. So that's why it's like so like personal to me. I'm like, the decisions that we make here to just go with the status quo means you're really harming, you know, two, three generations in, of your community on there. And, um, you know, and I, I don't get into the political side of it. Um, we work with, so, and that's a, this is a lot of because obviously education has become very political to some degree. Um, And what's been really interesting, and I kind of look at this more as observing what's going on, is that some states are very pro-charter schools and some states are not. Some states have much more private independent schools than other states. And all of these kind of pockets that only stay within their silos are doing some really fascinating things. Um, so that's a lot of like kind of what took from the book and then launched into the podcast was, how do we keep having these conversations? Because a lot of times like just people will shut down if I wanna talk, you know, share an experience of something that a charter school was doing because they work in a public school or vice versa. Um, what, but what's really fascinating is it really created this opportunity to have a lot of, I call it the educational R&D. There was an opportunity for a lot of things to try different things and some things have failed some things have worked but if we can learn from that and i'm always talking about that, like if you if you have an idea i guarantee someone else are also has that idea who's already tried it and and what's awesome about education is they're so they really are really we willing to share yeah. like teachers just in general they want to teach they want to so they want to share what they're doing and i I just want to see more of that and be able to kind of create platforms where where you can do that because, I mean, there are some rural schools in Ohio that have some of the most innovative learning environments wow. that that you would think. And then you know we just done ones in kind of a urban area here, just south of Phoenix, um, that uh, same way. I mean, they went from classrooms that you look at them and you're like, oh my god, this is like like I can't imagine how a teacher can teach in here and I can't imagine how a student can learn in here to just starting over and, and creating environments that are just super innovative. So those are the things that I I just hope we can learn from. I, I hope, you know, like as we've kind of, no know, now uh, have to figure out what school looks like kind of post COVID here. I, I just hope we can learn from that. And, uh, because there's going to be a lot of different things that are going to be tried out here.
0: <laughs> well, will there be? Yeah, sure. It's amazing. It's so great that you're able to have these conversations going, because like you mentioned, you know, education has become so politicized and, and really everything has become so, it's so insane how political everything is. And, you know, to me, I try to keep my focus so narrow because really it's about the teacher and the student's relationship. You know, that's the foundation, you know, it, let's leave everything else aside. You know, I don't know what you're teaching, how you're teaching it. If it's a controversial subject, if it's not controversial, if it's your political bent, if it's that, you know, idealistic twist, whatever it is, you know, but we can all agree that kids do better when they feel like their teachers like them. Okay. Whoever doesn't agree with that, raise your hands, you know, and let's try to stay on. There's so much that we have in common. You know, there is so much that we can work together and it's really unfortunate that, uh, you know that it has come to such a point yeah, yeah you know so the fact that you're able to do that on your podcast and obviously with the book and the work that you're doing is you know taking it to a, you know to an entirely different level this is not just education this is you know bringing people together and at the end of the day you know that's that's what it's all about
1: yeah for sure i mean you know the, the stats i don't know if you've heard them but you know they're in the last few years people have been throwing around stats like 85 percent of our of current kindergartners are going to be working in a career that does not exist right now
0: right i saw that on your website sure.
1: so so that so there's urgency to this and you know and you know i would say like this is an adult problem this is not you know like this is not a kid problem this is this is up to the adults to to solve this and if we kind of have that in mind of like every kid how do how do we create uh create better opportunities for these kids because we're in a very quickly changing world. And if we kind of, as adults sit here and kind of dig in and say, Nope, this is the way we've always done it. We're doing them a disservice. So there's definitely urgency to this.
0: Speaking of urgency, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've discovered early on just as a social worker, working with different schools and different teachers, you know, i would often ask teachers how do you define a successful you know a successful week in school what is the what's the difference between a successful week and an unsuccessful week and not only that but you know and you know we could talk about teacher evaluations could be a whole separate discussion you know how do you measure a good teacher working with a difficult student because if you're going to use test scores, which is, you know, the, the main right. know, traditional way of doing it. So a kid who is, you know, who was challenged in one of several ways, you know, there's so many ways that kids can be challenged and that's going to show up on a test score. So that means that the teacher is not good. How do you, how do you do that? And, you know, you kind of get the sense and it's really human nature to fall into a sense of complacency, you know, that urgency, you can't. You can't live with a high level of urgency all the time, you'll burn yourself out. But, but how do you communicate this level of urgency that we should not be happy with the status quo? You know, we should not be happy with what's going on. We need to up the game because the cause and effect are so, are so distant from each other. You know, when kids are little, they'll pretty much do what you ask them to do because they're little. But if you don't treat them a certain way, they're going to start not listening to you when they get to a certain age. You know, the defiance and the opposition, you know, it's, it's coming younger and younger. Kids are emboldened and you know, are maturing in a certain sense at a younger age. They're not maturing in a different sense until they're older, but you know, it's interesting how things are changing. You know, how, do you, how do you maintain that level of urgency? you know, without, without, you know, without overdoing it, obviously, because that's not sustainable, and also without making it sound like the teacher's not doing a good enough job, you know, when you when you talk about a system, you know, failing, which is very hard, if you're a part of that system, you know, if you're going to tell me that I'm failing, now in entrepreneurship, we kind of like it's part of it, you know, yeah, that's okay, you know, it's okay to fail. But in education, it's in in, in any kind of regular job, it's not okay to fail, you know, if you fail a number of times, you're out.
1: To some degree, but I would almost say it, there's, there's been environments that I've been where you, they encourage failure. And, and I think the idea that if we fail, just because we fail once, that labels you as a failure. and And that's the stigma that, you know, I've seen leaders kind of remove that. And it really does come down to leadership. I mean, and, and you know, and again, just because the title doesn't make you leadership, you can be a leader anywhere. And, and, you know, but obviously the higher up within an organization that leadership impacts more people, but yeah, I mean that notion that, that, you know, we're, we're failing is, you know, to me, that just means no, it's, that's just part of the process. I think the bigger issue that we run into is when we think everything where everything has to be a success because that's when you start lowering the bar and making sure that, oh, no, everything has to be success. Everyone has to pass. Everyone has to do this. Everyone has to get a gold star. If we can teach this, and and again, this is why I'm kind of optimistic about this COVID right now, is that there's chaos. There's, there's a lot of things that aren't going to work. And I think our kids are watching us and they're seeing this environment to be like, Oh, it doesn't have to go out. And you hear people talking about like, what's the new normal? Everyone, you're right. That complacency, everyone wants to kind of create a new normal, but it's okay. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of people think our kids are going to be scarred from this experience and maybe that's the case, but maybe this is also the defining moment that that provides the growth for them. And you know, and, and us as kind of the parents and the adults and the leaders, I, I think if we can kind of take that view and be like, hey, it doesn't, you don't, al- it doesn't always have to be great. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> what can we learn from this? And what will we be doing different? And what can we be doing today that is improvement on there? And it's, uh, yeah, but it, it's, it's a weird time. It's definitely a weird time, but it, it doesn't have to be, you know, this big negative.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, I love your perspective. I love your outlook. You know, your kids, your own kids. I know you have three of your own kids. And they're definitely lucky to have you as a dad because this mindset and the way I'm sure you're teaching them because parents are so important.
1: I screw up every day.
0: Oh, hey, that's part (laughs) of it.
1: Every day I'm screwing it up. That's part (laughs) of it. It's yeah, still that,
0: come back to you, though. Still yeah. back. You know, at the end of
1: the day, they still come home, right? That's right. And and the thing I kind of always remember too, which kind of remind me, is is my wife's OPGYN made a comment. He's like, you know, like our job is as parents, it's our job is not to raise good kids, our job is to raise good adults. Right. And and what that you know it means, like you know, we should be probably setting the bar a little higher. <laughs> Yeah. And kids they're they're really capable. They really are. I mean, I'm just super encouraged by seeing kind of the, the next generation of students coming through here. And you know the the world's wide open for them. And I just I just want to make sure that we're providing those opportunities for them.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. And it's yeah. really great meeting you.
1: Yeah, you too. I love it. Yeah, I feel like we can keep talking for oh, a long time. For sure. Oh,
0: um, for pleasure. Yeah, kidding? Yeah. And if, I, yeah, it,
1: <laughs> if any of your listeners too, if this kind of resonates with you and you kind of view yourself as one of those champions or change, change makers in education, um, we do, if you go to our website, we we have a free copy uh, of the book. Um, you know, it's not a moneymaker for us. So j- just go to the dot com. And you can either just start a chat with us or go through the educator resources on there because we really I mean, this is this is our mission it is right. it's not about selling furniture, it's about it's great. about giving every kid the
0: opportunity. And I'm so glad that somebody like you is paying attention to it. It's really, really great. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, thank you for what you're doing. I think you have got some awesome stuff with kind of the engagement with the app. That is some Excellent. I definitely wanna
0: learn more about it and see how we can we can work together. You are, absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a Class Stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.